And we just pray for those right now that don't know you, Father, that that door would be open for them. Send laborers into the path of those who are uh, sinning willfully and some sinning without knowledge through deception, Lord. Let them hear the good news. Soften hardened hearts and open deafened ears to hear your truth and hear your word. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. So we're going to talk more about the persecuted church. And um, there's so many things that... uh, I see and I hear, and uh, so uh, I'll uh, read our voice of the martyrs for this month, and uh, and um, uh, I want to encourage you to look at all Christians worldwide as family, not just people that we read about living in some remote place, but people that we are related to by blood, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to keep them in your hearts and in your prayers. Don't let it be just once a month. But uh, do call out the names of these people. You can always add these people to your protection prayers. I know most of you pray at least one of those every week. And that's a good place to uh, include them in in some of the names that you hear. If you want to jot those down. Uh, And uh, just remember these people in prayer because this is what they ask for. And I think it's the least we can do. Uh, We're in a relatively free country, but you know the persecution is increasing in this nation as well. If the hand of God does not stop it, uh, we will be hauled into jail for hate speech because that's what they call the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Because we preach that sin is sin and it's, it's not desired by God. In fact, it's forbidden by God. And so whenever you speak boldly the word of God, it will be opposed. The devil hates it because he hates God and he hates truth. And he hates people who serve and worship God. So we are in a warfare, whether we believe it or not, or whether we think it's bad or not. Um, I always uh, remember the story about, uh, there was a story told about a frog that got boiled. And they didn't really throw him in hot water. They just kept increasing the temperature a degree at a time before he knew it, he was cooked. And that's sometimes what uh, uh, compromise is like and subtlety. Uh, A little bit at a time, we overlook certain things that are said. We overlook certain uh, ways that people think and speak. And we just don't pay much attention to it. And I'm not saying go out and and, uh, argue with people and have verbal battles with people, but pray about these things. Pray that God will would uh, silence the mouths of certain people. Some of these people that are spewing out wickedness across the airwaves every day, they need to be shut up. You know, you just don't let them talk because they influence so many people. And so, uh, you know, I have a whole list of them on my media prayer. And I ask God to silence these voices. And, and uh, I'm thankful that he's been answering some of it. You know, little by little, you'll see progress made if you stay with it. Uh, those people have no right to speak and lie and poison the minds of other people, especially innocent young people who don't know how to discern. So you have to be wise in in these things and understand what you're up against. This is eternity we're talking about. This isn't somebody's opinion. It's not something that's a passing fad. Uh, Evil is not a fad. It's something that will be around for a long time until the Lord comes. But he has told his church to occupy until he comes and we are to occupy for his kingdom in the earth where we live 
until he returns. And so we are staking out territory for God. We're staking our claim for souls and for uh, influence over people, all of the above. And so uh, that's what I want you to think about when we talk about uh, people who are being persecuted in lands where it's very open and it's uh, not very uh, covert. So um, the the, uh, president, I'm going to read this letter, excerpts this letter from the president of Voice of the Martyrs. He was saying that he got a lot of feedback uh, from the uh, movie, that movie we saw, Hannah Lee, about the lady that lost her uh, husband and her two children, uh, you know, to, uh, to terrorists. And uh, it was a woman, I uh, know, a man who wrote a letter to him uh, in, from Chicago. His name is Robert. He wrote a letter about the video. He said, when my wife and I watched the DVD, Hannah Lee, I got very depressed. I realized that in my quiet time or during a good sermon or rousing Christian song, I was like Peter and ready to risk my life for Jesus. But when faced with a situation like distributing Bibles as a Gideon in Chicago, a murder, the murder capital of America for over two years, I was chicken at the thought of what might happen. Well, yesterday I went into Chicago. They're talking about the Gideon Society that passes out the Bibles in, in uh, hotels, and they they give them out. They uh, give them out at graduations. Uh, they're free. So if anybody like Christian schools that want to have Bibles for all their graduates, they can have them. Uh, they had a nurses' edition, a doctors' edition of Bibles that they would give out free. So they're very. Uh, very prolific in in putting Bibles into hands of people. So he said, I went into Chicago with other Gideons in a pretty safe neighborhood, and all I suffered was indifference at the offer of a free Bible, plus many were open to accepting the word. Pray that Friday I will be uh, a credit to his name and be willing to endure whatever may come when we venture into a place a lot less threatening than the places where you talk about uh, in your work. So here's a man who is inspired to get up and go and just pass out Bibles in a neighborhood that's dying every day because of death and violence and all of that, you know, and people always, we got to stop killing. They always say that when somebody dies, but nobody ever changes anything. But God's people, we have the power to make a change. Passing out a Bible is is not that threatening and sharing uh, the love of Christ is not either. But it is the answer to all of this confusion and all of this suffering and all of this violence. So we'll pray for him. His name is, um, what is he, his name was, was it George? Robert, like I said, see, I forgot already. Robert. So we'll make sure we pray for Robert in Chicago uh, with the Gideons to be strengthened to go and pass out many more Bibles and just do it continually. So uh, uh, here's a children return to bomb Sunday school. Shortly after Buddhist monks had bombed the Sri Lankan church, Christians gathered inside the building's ruins for Sunday school as usual. Although the attackers had scrawled the church is no more on the building's charred structure, these courageous believers proved otherwise. Buddhist aggression toward Christians escalated after the government considered a law banning forcible conversions. Churches throughout Sri Lanka continue to endure attacks, but Christians still gather for worship. So here's a group of Christians, they're sitting outside. You know, they had an inside church until it was bombed. But they're still gathering, even outside, to share Christ. Amen. 
praise God. Do not fear. Many Christians are afraid. They are afraid as they watch American culture and society continually turn away from the biblical teachings and Christian values they hold dear. They are afraid that the persecution our brothers and sisters face in nations like China, Nigeria, North Korea, and Libya may soon be much more than something we read about. It may be the path we, Christians in the land of the free, are called to walk. The problem with this attitude is that the Bible tells us not to be afraid. When communist authorities in Romania forced Voice of the Martyrs founder Richard Wormbrand into a van as he walked to church on February 29, 1948, he had good reason to be afraid. Here's how he recalls his thoughts that morning in his book, In God's Underground. I knew that I faced questioning, ill treatment, possibly years of imprisonment and death, and I wondered if my path was strong enough, um, if my faith was strong enough. I remembered that then that in the Bible it is written 366 times, one for every day of the year, don't be afraid. 366 times, not merely 365, to account for a leap year. <laughs> and this was February 29th, a coincidence that told me I need not fear. Pastor Wormbrin learned this surprising information in a book of sermons while serving as a pastor in Romania. The most common imperative among Jesus' words in the Gospels is some variation of the words, do not be afraid. Paul reminded his protege Timothy that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. It's easy to quote these verses, but in the darkest hours of the night, it can be hard to quiet our hearts and trust fully in God's plan for us, for our children, for our grandchildren, and for our nation. Many of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world have gained a deeper trust in Christ through repeated, sometimes daily, persecution. Rather than looking at our future with anxiety and fear, we can learn from them how better to rest in the promises of our sovereign God. Hussein, an Iranian Christian who converted from Islam, committed his life to ministry in Iran's house churches soon after God saved him from a life of drugs and crime. His ministry had been going well until one night when the secret police raided an apartment where he was leading a Christian meeting. Everyone was videotaped. The apartment was searched and Hussein and three other leaders were arrested. After separating the leaders, the police blindfolded Hussein and drove him to an unknown location where he was led to a solitary cell. They kept a bright floodlight on the cell for 24 hours a day, making sleep difficult. Hussein's thoughts were a jumble of confusion and fear. He wondered what he should tell them and whether the other believers would tell them something different. He knew there were Bibles hidden in the apartment where he had, they had been meeting, but he didn't know whether the police had found them. Hussein's mind raced from one fear to another. And then Hussein began, Hussein began to pray, and God's presence filled his solitary cell. There was the greatest experience of my life with Jesus beside me, even telling me how to pray and what to say. I was in the presence of Jesus, and I was praying more boldly and confidently that Jesus had brought me there for a purpose. To hear God like you hear water or anything else, I heard God. I felt like Jesus put everything aside, the whole world aside, to come to me and whisper in my ear. Jesus said to me, there is no need for you to say anything 
because I am going to tell you what to say. Why are you afraid? After ten days in solitary confinement, Hussein was charged with apostasy and assigned a death row. Thinking it must be a mistake, one of the prison guards made a phone call to make sure Hussein was supposed to be on death row. Why did you send this guy here, the guard asked. They are going to kill this guy, but the guard was told there was no mistake. This is a special request for death row, he was told. On Hussein's first night in prison, one of the gang leaders ordered him to meet him in the bathroom at midnight. Until 12 that night, I couldn't sleep because I did not know what was going to happen. But on death row, God was stronger than Hussein's fear. Somehow the gang leaders had heard that Hussein had contacts outside of Iran. They wanted him to get the word out about the terrible conditions in the prison. Although Hussein didn't really know many people outside the country, and certainly not people in a position to question Iran's prison conditions, he told them he'd do whatever he could. That night, Hussein was accepted into the gang's inner circle. In an overcrowded prison where some prisoners had slept on the floor for years, Hussein spent his very first night on a top bunk, a place of status. He was also given the responsibility of distributing water to the prisoners, so they all treated him well to ensure that they got their daily ration. A couple of days later, Hussein received the necessary paperwork for transferring to a safer part of the prison. However, Hussein chose to stay on death row. His fear had been overcome by God's provision. Death row, if, that were, if that's where God wanted him, was the safest place for him to be. A pastor from an Islamic country in the Middle East recently shared the story of one of his church members, Shani, who was filled with fear. Shani's husband was the leader of a house church until one day when he simply disappeared. For three months, Shani had no idea where he was. The authorities who had taken him had filed no charges against him, and he wasn't allowed to see a lawyer or his family. In fact, the authorities wouldn't even admit they were holding him. Shani was left alone, worrying about her husband and about herself. She knew her husband was strong and that his faith would endure even if he were tortured. He would never give up names of other Christians or details about their secret gospel work. But Shani was afraid she wasn't that strong. Dear God, she prayed one night, please don't allow them to find me. I can't handle torture. I cannot handle a jail cell. You said you won't give us more than we can handle, so please, please make them not come and arrest me. I'm not strong like my husband. I can't handle torture. If they torture me, I'd probably give up the names of every single Christian. I might even deny my faith completely. She prayed that prayer and then went to sleep. Shani was awakened at 6 a.m. the next morning by someone banging on her door. When she looked out the window, she saw two police cars in front of her home. They saw her looking out the window and yelled, Are you going to come down here or do you want us to come up to get you? Wait, she yelled back. I'll come down. But as she was getting ready to open the door for the police, she was fighting with God. God, I told you that I can't handle arrest and torture, and this is what happens. Whatever happens now, God, it's your fault. The police took Shani to the local jail, which was filthy and smelled like a sewer. She had grown up in a wealthy family and had never been in a place like this. I have to sleep here, she exclaimed. In the middle of the night, the guards pulled her out of her cell and took her to an interrogation room. The inter interrogator across the table from her looked very angry. 
Why did you evangelize, he demanded. Why do you talk about Jesus to Muslims? What do you want from these people, you and your husband? Don't you know that it's illegal here? You're not permitted to evangelize. The only thing she could think to say was, Dear God, Lord. Then she suddenly felt God's presence and peace. Shani looked up at the interrogator. You know what, she said? I have a right to evangelize, and I'm happy that I'm evangelizing. We're supposed to evangelize. This is the commandment from Jesus Christ. Everyone needs to hear this good news. You need to hear this good news, too. God sent me here to tell you about Jesus. You are a poor man. I feel bad for you. You don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't have hope. You don't even know why you're alive. The only way to the truth is Jesus Christ. You are an interrogator, but one day you are going to stand before the ultimate judge, Jesus Christ, and he is going to examine you. Without him, there is no hope for you, and Jesus is going to ask you, why did you do this to my servants? The interrogator was shocked by her bold words. Okay, I see, he replied. I know exactly who you are now. Now your punishment has just increased. You're going to get it now. Go back to your cell. I'll deal with you tomorrow. As Shani was escorted back to her filthy cell, she prayed, Oh, Lord, what did I do? What did what did I do? How could I have been so stupid? What? Why did I even say all of that stuff? After further thought, she decided she would apologize to the interrogator and take it all back. She decided she would say whatever he wanted her to say. The following night, the guards again dragged her out of her cell and into the interrogation room. Despite her plan, she again felt the Holy Spirit's guidance and began to share the gospel with her interrogator. The third night, it happened again. Each night, Shani entered the interrogation room with the intent of apologizing to the interrogator, and each night she instead boldly proclaimed the gospel. After the third interrogation, Shani went back to her cell hoping to give her mind a rest and fall asleep despite the stench. She hadn't slept since her arrest and she was exhausted. In the middle of the night, however, she heard a knock on her cell door. To her surprise, it wasn't a guard. It was the interrogator. Let me come in, he said. Shani was terrified. He was coming to beat her, even kill her because of her disrespect toward him. Don't worry, the interrogator said calmly. I will not harm you. I want to ask you for a favor. Would you pray for me tonight? The interrogator entered Shani's cell with tears in his eyes. Did you know that you are an angel of God, he said. Did you know that God sent you here at this particular time in my life? The past three days I've been going through hell. How did you know that my life is so crazy, so messed up? I tried everything in my religion, and I could never seem to be happy. I learned today that there is only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. When you were talking in the interrogation room, that wasn't really you. I saw myself in God's presence. Please help me to be saved. The interrogator stayed in Shani's cell for three hours, and before he left, he put his trust in Christ. He then ordered the release of both Shani and her husband on the secret condition that they agree to meet privately to disciple him, and he even gave them advice on how they could evangelize more safely.
you're invincible. Maybe you have prayed prayers like Shani's. Lord, I can't handle cancer. Lord, I can't work for this difficult boss for one more day. Lord, I can't handle rebellious teenager. Lord, I can't endure the betrayal of my unfaithful spouse or the possibility of parenting alone. Shani told God that she couldn't handle the rest, that she would probably give up the names of every Christian she knew if tortured and that she might even deny her faith. And yet three times this seemingly timid, fearful woman boldly shared the gospel with her interrogator and everyone else in the room. A frightened woman who thought she might deny her faith ended up leading an enemy of the gospel into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The interrogator had it right when he said, this wasn't really you. He knew instinctively that God had done the work through Shani. It's it's not all about Shani or me or you. It's not about our ability to endure pain, our willingness to suffer for the name of Christ or our personal courage. It's all about God's power working in us and through us. It's about his Holy Spirit giving us the words to say or the ability to forgive or an opportunity to tell someone what Jesus has done for us. Several years ago, Pastor Wally... Mangdangal, a Filipino Christian who lived and worked in Saudi Arabia, visited our Voice of Martyr offices. He had been arrested for his Christian ministry in Saudi Arabia and sentenced to death. But God had miraculously intervened and Pastor Wally is still alive and serving the Lord today. As he shared his story, Pastor Wally said something profound. Until God is finished with you, you are invincible. Amen. Until God is finished with you, you are invincible. Until God says your time on earth is over and he is the only one who can make that determination, you cannot be stopped. We do not have to live in fear of persecution, Muslim extremists, medical diagnoses, Supreme Court decisions, or whatever policies are supported by whoever is sitting in the Oval Office. It's not about us anyway. It's about our God and his power in us. Our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ are living proof of God's power working in and through those who cry out to him. Because of God's power in us, we should not be afraid. Do not fear. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to pass this around. Every time I see pictures of young children, I think about my grandnieces. Because they're so close in age. Isn't that amazing? And these little girls are so eager to have books about Jesus. And they smile. And they, you know, they just have the love of Christ on them. So I'm going to pass this around. Let everybody take a little peek at it. Miss J-Lo, it will wind up back at you last. Okay? And uh, just let people look at some of the faces of the people who are just going ahead with the gospel. Even though they have reason to be afraid and stop. They're not stopping. And I know that our prayers help that. Our prayers help to, amen, pave the way to do what they do uh, by faith. This one is a news update. Uh, it's really a year old. It says, Well, it's not a year old, but the news of it is one year old. It says 2015 was the worst year for Christian persecution, and that's according to Open Doors Ministry. Um, let me think. North Korea led the way 
and Islamic extremism was rapidly expanding as 2015 was the worst year in modern history for Christian persecution, according to a group tracking this issue. Iraq is in second place on Open Door's 2016 World Watch list and ranking a ranking of the top 50 most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. It's the first of 35 countries on the watch list where Islamic extremism has risen to a level akin to ethnic cleansing, said the report. Um, we have a new map, too, of the World Watch uh, uh, map, so we'll get that laminated, and we'll pray, pray over that one every month when we get together. And in Cleveland, they'll pray over it every week. It says, Saudi Arabia, which recently executed a Shiite cleric and where bloggers have been sentenced for lashings for suggested changing uh, in the practice of Islam, came in at number 14. More than 7,100 Christians were killed for their faith-related reasons. 2,400 churches were destroyed or damaged, said Open Doors President David Curry. Curry gave a, a world tour of murder, exile, terror, detention, and destruction at a press conference introducing the new report. The militant group Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab, he added, are the sinister power behind persecution in four African countries. The level of exclusion, discrimination, and violence against Christians is unprecedented, spreading and intensifying. It's a vital, it is vital to track such persecution, not on, only on behalf of its victims, but to recognize growing threats to global peace and security. The persecution of Christians is a lead indicator of when countries are bring, beginning to tip into chaos. David Saperstein, ambassador at large for international religious freedom, added to Curry's list of atrocities and crimes against humanity. And far too many countries, far too many people face daunting, alarming restrictions on living and practicing their religion. And yet, Saperstein said, most refuse to surrender their faith to God. Uh, here's a lady, her husband was murdered says every one of the numbers in this report is a human being the ambassador said as he stood at the podium directly in front of Gladys Juma whose husband was murdered in Kenya Juma detailed a heartbreaking night of searching for her husband Benjamin who had gone with a pastor to share the word of Christ in a nearby Muslim area hours after the two men went missing Gladys Juma went into a hospital nearby where she was shown a gunny sack of hacked and burned body parts and a seared skull sitting in a burned fire rim. No one could say who they were. A few hours later, she learned that those unidentifiable victims were in fact her husband and the pastor. It hit us very hard, she said. In Mombasa, we had had religious tolerance for many years and suddenly the tables had turned with no warning. We are still healing. That healing for herself and her four children relies on forgiveness, on trusting God, and in her belief, she said, that America will act to make sure people respect other people's faith. Now, it's interesting. These countries are looking to us, and look at what we see some of our preachers doing. Compromising, backing down. It's the same, uh, it was the same thing in um Brigitte Gabriel's testimony. Remember, she said that they were they lived in that they lived in a, a um, cave or a, a tunnel 
for what did she say, 15 or 16 years or something like that, when she was a, went in as a young child, and because they were uh, fleeing the the terrorists, Islamic terrorists. And she said every day she believed the Americans would come and rescue them. And when they did get rescued, it was the Jews that came and rescued them. The Americans never came. And so, and I believe by the Spirit of God that that will turn around. We will start to go in and rescue people again. Because they look to this nation as a free nation and promoting freedom and being allies of people who want freedom around the world. We can't sit around and encourage persecution and we can't continue to support people who want to come over here and kill us. Now that's just crazy. So I believe God is really turning that around. Now some people don't like the way he's doing it, but God does things after the counsel of his own will. He doesn't pick people. Because we like him. He picks people that he can use. And he does it for his own reasons. So it's good to stay, you know, just hang tight, shut up, and watch God work. You know, we might learn something. If we let him work and watch it, we might learn a few things. Okay, so this one is called Vanishing Christians. And this is about the nation of Syria. Which all these European countries and this country is taking all these Muslim Uh, refugees from Syria, but they're Christians over there to be persecuted too, and nobody's really looking out for them. Gabriel's journey had taken its toll emotionally. The brave missionary had been through ten checkpoints to reach the outskirts of the Syrian capital of Damascus. Each guard who asked to see his credentials could have been an ISIS militant in disguise capable of stealing his precious cargo or worse, taking his life. Although he had reached his desired destinations, the bombs and gunfire in the distance reminded him that his mission was far from over. Like many missionaries in the Middle East, Gabriel had done everything in his power to provide aid and the gospel message to the millions of Syrian refugees fleeing civil war and ISIS terrorism. But as he participated in outreaches to refugee camps near the Syrian border, a glaring mystery began to present itself. Christians were nowhere to be found. It was as if they had simply vanished. Five years ago, before the war in Syria began, over 10% of the country's population of 26 million identified themselves as Christ followers. That's over 2.6 million Christians. Gabriel had yet to meet a single one. So where did they go, he began asking himself. Using his contact network, Gabriel was allowed access inside Syria to explore the war-torn area. What he found was shocking. Many followers of Jesus had fled their homes for safer regions outside Damascus. When asked why they had not attempted to leave the country with other refugees, they gave an interesting explanation. The refugee camps and bordering countries are controlled by Muslims. As a minority group, believers are surrounded by the Islamic faith, a a religion dead set on preventing Christians from freely worshiping. So although ISIS presses in on every side, many Christian Syrians, uh, Syrian Christians decided to band together and stay. On his first trip inside, Gabriel identified an area filled with over a thousand impoverished families, most of whom had left all they owned as they fled their homes for safety. They found shelter in small rooms, cramming up to ten people in a single tiny living space. Food and other essential resources were scarce, and some of the displaced families even resorted to searching through the trash for their next meal. 
During that last fateful trip, a mission of hope was born for Gabriel. Risking the continual dangers of being in a war zone, our brave partner now makes the journey inside Syria each month to offer life-sustaining food, essential living supplies, discipleship, and the message that the church around the world remembers their plight. Recently, Gabriel sent an update from his latest mission where he met Victor and Asil. This precious elderly couple was captured by ISIS before they could escape their city. Victor was tortured three different times in an attempt to make him recant his faith in Jesus. Asil was beaten so badly that she lost most of her mobility and was forced to remain in bed. Miraculously, the two were spared from death but were thrown out of their home without any of their possessions. With the last of their strength, they made the long journey to Damascus where they hoped to find safety. Gabriel's timely arrival provided much need aid in the midst of overwhelming sorrow and poverty. His visit also awakened something all but forgotten by Victor and Asil, and that is hope. So they talk about what you can do is prayer and also in um, uh, supporting them financially with all of the things that they need because they do have people who are willing to go into these oppressed areas and bring supplies and relief and also encourage the believers uh, in their their stand against this terrorism and toward Christ. So we'll make sure that we send um, uh, offerings to them. Well, you know, the ministry will send them. So when you give, always remember that we're doing more than, um, you know, more than just uh, uh, talking about these things. We pray and we also give. So it's, it's very important to do both. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about, I'm just going to read some of these a little bit and then we'll pray. Um, try to get a definition of what a red zone is. Um, I don't want to just say it. Maybe they'll talk about it. Excuse me, define it for us. Says Christmas inside red zones, celebrating Jesus in dangerous places. Um, <clears throat> let me see. Are you getting excited? There was always a special buzz this time of year as our neighborhoods and shopping malls once again boldly display their holiday decorations. For believers in Jesus' supernatural invasion into our world, Christmas is a season to sing our joy from the rooftops. But what if Christmas decorations and songs targeted us for those set on ending our lives? Hard to imagine, right? Yet there are places in the world where those threats are reality. These are the areas where religious extremism is growing against Christianity. These are the red zones. For believers living in red zones, Christmas will look very different. Most will find it difficult to celebrate with their families and their underground churches uh, that are in very real danger. But maybe there is a way we can help change their story. Let me explain. In Pakistan, Pakistan proclaims religious freedom for Christians, but the underground reality is much different. Ministries have been firebombed. Pastors have been brutally beaten in the streets, and missionaries are hunted by Muslim extremists. Despite all they face, Pastor Ali and Nadia are two on-site partners in Pakistan who are pushing back the onslaught against their brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Ollie has worked diligently to plant the first known churches in Pakistan's most unreached people group, while Nadia has established uh, secret safe house gatherings for underground believers along the border of Afghanistan. These are areas populated with radical jihadists requiring special care for discipleship and evangelism outreaches. Around the time we are meeting openly in our congregations for Christmas Eve services, the underground Pakistan church, Pakistani church will also gather. In small groups, they will huddle around an iPad screen or Skype signal via cell phone, tools you as supporters help purchase. From a remote location, Nadia can lead them in some hymns about Jesus' birth and then walk them through the Christmas story. It will not be an extravagant celebration, but it will bring the much-needed hope that our Savior is known for. In North Africa, Alpha Relief supports a special training and restoration center in North Africa for missionaries and church planters. Most of these brave students have suffered for their faith in Christ, but are now committed to going back into red zones to reach their persecutors with the gospel. Amazingly, some students are even former African Islamic extremists who persecuted believers. After radical encounters with Jesus, they want to bring the same freedom to their families. Ezekiel graduated from the school and is now supported by your gifts as a church planter in, North, the, in a North African red zone where more than 70% of the population follow Islam. He leads a small gathering of former Muslim believers, all of whom he led to Jesus. Recently, the Lord moved Ezekiel to take a huge risk and speak openly about his faith with a respected Islamic teacher. After days of gently sharing the truth of the gospel, the teacher finally admitted that he was convinced Jesus was in fact Lord. Ezekiel conveyed this to us. Now I am waiting for the day of his final decision. I believe that in his heart he is already a follower of the Messiah. He is afraid of the community to declare it. I need prayer support that God would change his life. Although he knows that our talk does not expose him as a Christian, still he is afraid that he may be stoned to death. As Christmas Day dawns in this North African red zone, there is a very real chance that the teacher will be joining Ezekiel's small church and celebrating the birth of his new Savior. Friends, these amazing Christmas stories are possible because of your prayers and support. The celebration of Jesus' birth in red zones looks much different than our own and is much more dangerous than we can possibly understand. Even so, every person in Christ's family is connected by this miraculous hope. Jesus entered the world and rescued us. Would you prayerfully consider continuing that rescue story for many others who desperately need freedom Jesus offers? Heroes like Ali, Nadia, Ezekiel, and the churches they serve need us to come alongside them. Your support this Christmas can ensure their mission continues, etc., etc. Under the radar, stories of modern-day Bible smugglers. <clears throat> Imagine a world in which you could not own a copy of God's Word. It's hard to do, as most of us own two or three personal copies. Yet millions of persecuted believers in the world today face the troubling reality of being denied the Bible. For some, however, that's changing. Alpha Relief continues to work with brave on-site partners who are breaking into closed areas hostile to the teachings of Jesus Christ. 
Through their brave acts, thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ are, even today, receiving their very first Bible. This month, we wanted to share some of the incredible new opportunities our heroes have notified us about. As you will discover, the danger of these initiatives remains high. In Myanmar, uh, Hakka Chin, a people group inside Myanmar, have been brutally persecuted for the last 60 years for, by their government. These fellow believers in Christ face slave labor, torture, rape, forced Buddhist conversion, and other inhumane treatment. Persecution has brought poverty to the Hakka Chin. Their scarce resources are used for food and shelter. Having money to purchase Bibles is unheard of. Matthias has uh, seen firsthand the effects persecution has on these precious people. In his life's mission to bring them hope using backdoor entry points, Matthias crosses com covertly into Minamar with several pickup trucks loaded with Bibles translated into the Hakka Chin's native language. The sheer joy on the faces of those who receive this priceless, priceless gift lets him know the risk is worth it. But Matthias can't do this on his own. He needs our help to continue. So they talk about the number of Bibles needed and the cost per Bible. In the Middle East, like Matthias, many of Alpha Relief's Middle East partners risk the dangers of war zones and terrorist control areas to reach persecuted families and covert worshipers of Jesus. Some, like our friend Gabriel, focus their efforts on Christian families trapped inside Syria who are forced to flee their homes when ISIS invaded their villages. Most barely made it out alive with just the clothes on their backs and now mourn the loss of all their possessions, including their Bibles. Other partners like Nadia use digital technology to share discipleship material and scriptures secretly with underground believers. Although terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda hunt for Nadia to destroy her work, this brave woman continues to use Skype, iPads, and cell phone technology to ensure a growing number of new believers are being fed spiritually. But Gabriel, Nadia, and other Middle East friends can't do it without your help. Inside China, the church is exploding with growth, but a strong-willed government still regulates the amount of Bibles allowed in the country. It's estimated that one in four believers own, own their only own their own copy of scripture outside inside China. Even digital scripture is restricted as many Christian websites and apps continue to be firewalled. Our friend Brandon is not deterred by the physical and digital boundaries around China. Disguised as a business rep, this undercover agent for the gospel and his team smuggle hundreds of Bibles a day, hidden inside suitcases and briefcases. He has many stories of Bibles being found on his person, only to be kept by curious border guards for future study. This is an unintentional evangelism tool. But for every Bible confiscated, thousands more slip through to be distributed to the Chinese house churches all over the country. Believers will literally kiss and hold the books to their chest when they receive them. Grateful for Brandon's bravery to provide the priceless gift, Brandon desires to offer that same gift to thousands more desperate believers and needs our help to do it. Back into darkness.
Far off the busy South Korean streets, our small Alpha Relief team quietly sits opposite Hana, a North Korean escapee who wants to tell us her story. It is a journey filled with pain, and she absentmindedly fidgets with a scarf around her neck, a piece of clothing much too warm for the late spring temperature. The scarf is, however, very effective at covering a secret, a secret we're about to learn. Growing up inside North Korea, food was scarce for Hannah's family. When her husband died from sickness due to malnutrition, she began questioning what might exist outside of the closed Korean borders. Bribing a hungry border guard, the young woman quietly made her escape into China to look for a better life. Just one week later, she was discovered by Chinese police, bound in chains, and brought back inside North Korea as a traitor. As she waited for her punishment, authorities discovered that Hannah's grandmother had a record with the government as an identified Christian. Although Hannah emphatically professed the truth that she had no knowledge of the religion, guards began mercilessly torturing her. Hannah recounts being strapped to a chair, raised off the floor by a chain pulley, then dropped violently as her bones and muscles bruised with the intense trauma. Wire was strung around her neck and then violently yanked tight, choking the air from her windpipe. Hannah momentarily pauses in retelling to again fidget with a scarf around her neck. She tells us the scarf hides the area where the wire had cut into her delicate skin. It's when we realize some of her scars from those horrible days will always remain. The battered woman's anger should have been directed toward her grandmother uh, for the undeserved pain. Instead, Hannah's thoughts of the old woman's gentle singing quickly became her only comfort. Throughout her torture, she would hum those same melodies, using them as her only source for staying sane. Later, she realized that her grandmother's songs were old Korean gospel hymns, carrying words that would bring her true freedom. Hannah was eventually set free, completely disillusioned with the lies of her country had told her she could think of nothing else but escape. The details of her harrowing journey to once and for all leave North Korea behind are a powerful story in and of themselves. After almost a year on the run, Hannah finally made it to South Korea. There she met friends of Alpha Relief who oversee a church community which embraces North Korean refugees. Although hostile to the gospel at first, Hannah found her heart softening with each act of love the church offered her. It wasn't long before she embraced the faith of her grandmother and asked Jesus to be her savior. Our team frequently asks about future dreams uh, when visiting with North Koreans who have escaped. Hannah's answer surprised us. She says she hopes to one day lead a team of missionaries back into North Korea to help build a church community for those remaining in darkness. Light in the darkness, hope for the very persecutors who left her with scars. That's the kind of story Jesus would write. Interested in joining Hannah and other brave heroes in bringing light into darkness, you'll find some great ways to get involved. Vanishing Christians. Gabriel's journey had taken its toll emotionally. The brave missionary had been through ten checkpoints uh, to the to reach the out. Did I read this one before? Vanishing about Gabriel? No. The first one I read. Okay, all right. 
Okay, yeah, I remember the other names too. Okay, so we heard that one. Infiltrating a modern-day slave camp, a secret mission to set North Koreans free. Jonas couldn't believe what was happening. For years, he had been covertly entering hard labor work sites in remote, unnamed locations where modern-day slaves were, quote, employed. The slaves had been sent by North Korea as part of a corrupt government program. His mission was to bring food, medicine, and the message of the gospel to the men who lived with little or no hope. Jonas had been careful to steer clear of the leaders of the slave rings who viciously protected their assets from outside influence, but something had drastically changed. The very leaders Jonas had done uh, his best to avoid had discovered him while he was ministering to some of the workers. He expected violence, but instead they had welcomed him into a brand new work site that was not on Jonas's map. The undercover evangelist suddenly found himself face-to-face with 30 new workers, all in need of the resources and message he carried. The men working the sites had signed up for the North Korean government program, one more government program, folks, with the promise of earning money for their hungry families. Instead of honest work with decent wages, they arrived in a foreign land where they were kept restricted to their remote locations, working painstaking hours with little to eat and inadequate shelter. Worse still, up to 80% of what they earned was kept by the North Korean government, leaving them little on which to survive. I think it was uh, Thomas Sowell. I think it was, um, he's an economist. Anybody familiar with him? It's a black man. Uh, but he's a very well-respected economist. I'm thinking who he works for. He works for one of these think tank top type uh, persons, and he writes a, a regular column. And he said one of the he said one of the deceptions of government is they take your money away secretly and give it back flamboyantly. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same thing here. See, they, they take it away secretly, and then you say, you sign up for this government program we're going to do, but they keep 80% of these people's wages, leaving them very little on which to survive. The leaders in charge of the hard labor work sites are North Korean, official guards sent to prevent the men from leaving as well as keep outsiders away. The horrific conditions left many of the workforce sick and hungry from the lack of food. Jonas had chosen to infiltrate a camp guarded by a sympathetic official who recognized the opportunity to provide for those he oversaw. Through God's divine orchestration and your support, Jonas was allowed to openly offer survival packs he had prepared for each worker under the care of the guard. The packs contained food, medicine, basic living supplies, and best of all, disguised Korean literature that contained the message of the gospel. Please continue to keep Jonas and his secret ministry in your prayers. He needs more opportunities like this one for the numerous work sites he has located. Pray that each survival pack and each conversation will plant the seed in the hearts of the workers. May the hope of Jesus Christ truly set these men free. So we'll, that's all I'm going to read for us. Amen. Praise God. So that gives you an update. Amen. On what it's like in some very restrictive uh, places. Um, I thank God for lifting the restriction 
on Christians in this nation. God knows what's needed uh, worldwide. And uh, amen. One of our prayers uh, states, no persecution. I think it's on the rulers and leaders prayer. No persecution uh, by our leader of the church, by rulers and leaders. They will reverence God. And once you begin to declare that they will reverence God, they can only go so far and cannot go any further. So we thank God for giving us the warning of how to pray and, and how to head this stuff off and see it turn around uh, for God's, in God's favor. Amen. Because Jesus is Lord of all. He will stop anything that doesn't glorify him. He will make an utter end. Amen. They won't rise up again to do any harm to anybody. So we continue to pray for these. Um, Shannon Crowley, if you'll write those names down for me, uh, if you if you just need to go back through those stories and just keep it, we'll just keep track of all of the names of the people that we're praying for. At some point, God will confirm to us that things have gotten better for them. They'll be able to get an update or something like that. But it's good when you call people by name. You're not just blindly speaking words. There's somebody on your heart that you really feel uh, committed to pray for. So uh, we're going to pray. If you guys want to pray in the spirit, we'll pray. I'll pray in the uh, uh, understanding uh, because we really want to see an end to this uh, horrible, horrible persecution. I mean, people need to know that they are free to worship God, use their authority. I just get so encouraged and so inspired when I see uh, some of the, like the uh, young woman that we just read about who was so afraid to say anything to one of the guards. He was sure she was going to turn everybody in, and she wound up speaking up for God. So that just shows you uh, what what God can do if we'll just, you know, submit to him, just go along with it and see where it ends. You know, that's usually how it happens uh, with faith. So, Father in heaven, we thank you and we bless you and we praise you. We worship you and magnify you. We lift you up, Lord. You are worthy to be praised, worthy to be adored, worthy to be glorified, magnified, and exalted. We lift you up, Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the blessed one. You are the holy one. And we thank you, Lord, for your holiness. And we know, Lord, that you have ordained that we would be holy as you are holy, so that there's no hindrance to our prayers. Thank you, Lord, as we pray your word. You see it just as you see your own thoughts and your own words. We're just giving your thoughts and your words back to you, Lord, to end this persecution of your people around the world. We will not sit back, stand idly by, and chit-chat about it and talk about how bad it is. But we'll step up, Father, and step into the place of intercession, of laying down our lives so that these people can have their freedom and have the things that you have promised them. More than anything, Father, these people that we are talking about today all want to stay where they are and continue to share the gospel. They don't want to just escape and run off, but they want to stay and do the work of the ministry and and, uh, and preach the gospel and see people converted. So we thank you for their courage. Thank you, Lord, that their courage is an inspiration to us. 
Thank you, Lord, that their courage reminds us of what's important, and that is sharing Christ with every single person that we see and we know. And so we thank you, Lord, for protecting them. We thank you, Lord, that we submit to you, resist the devil, and he must flee. We command you, Satan, to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God. We resist retaliation against our accusers. We're serving you. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sits in the heavens are laughing. Behold, if threatening, stretch forth your hand to heal, O God, and do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I declare the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, I thank you to judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our integrity that's in us. Let the mischief of they who persecute us return upon their own heads. Keep us as the apple of the eye and hide us under the shadow of your wings. Thank you for teaching my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms. Thank you that you have given us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lives against us and cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servants. Stop those who point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. It's time for you to work, Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know it's nothing with you to help. Help us, O Lord our God. Save us according to your mercy. Let our hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one, and therefore our persecutors shall stumble. They will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And Father, we thank you that those who live godly will suffer persecution, but we will prevail in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, 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 and amen again. Amen. Amen. We thank God that their confusion is everlasting. They will not shake it off and regroup and gain strength again. But the wicked is on his way down. He must repent or suffer the consequences of wickedness. Amen. It's time for God to work. So we're thankful for the working of God in in the earth and everywhere that we are. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Ms. Juan, if you'll put some music on and I can pray for some people that need prayer before we adjourn. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just need to worship us this time to your feet down here. Come on. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you before we adjourn.